Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and most sports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah we are learning about F1 and many other motorsports series too. In this episode we discuss some of the latest F1 news before diving into where F1 has immersed itself in pop culture and vice versa. We discuss how this has been happening more and more in the last few years and why that might be. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of things you want to learn about with us, you can find us on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1 Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! Hello, everybody! Welcome back! Hello! Hello! It is good to be here. Summer break episode for you today. I've got some exciting stuff to talk about. We've got some news to go through, some things that have been reported over the break. And then we've got a little bit to talk about F1 and pop culture stuff. So I'm excited. Yeah, this should be a good one. Silly season is silly, but I feel like it's not as silly as it could be or should be. So I'm expecting it to get more silly as it goes on. Yeah, and I think we touched on last week that a lot of silly season is just rumor season. So the stuff that we're going to talk about now is stuff that we believe is, is actual news. Like it's stuff that has either had some significant reporting to it or is looking very likely rather than going through every single rumour that has come out in the last week because we'd be here all night, all day, whatever time of day it is you're recording. We're on three different time zones here. So first things first, we did not mention last week. We finished recording and then we're like, oh man, we've got to say about this. There have been developments for F1 Academy. Molly, what are the developments for F1 Academy? Talk to us. Okay, if I have it clear in my head, big one is that every... F1 team ha- is gonna have a car and a driver in the academy, correct? That's like the big one. And along with uh, the races for next year and going forward are gonna be part of this, like the weekends, like F2 and F3 are, correct? So there's more. I know there's right. more, but that's like the- those are the ones that have, like stick out to me. So that's in the last couple of weeks that has been a development. And there has been debate of whether or not Red Bull are splitting into two teams or it's two separate teams with Alphatari because it's every team having a different livery and sponsoring a different car. The big one, though, is that F1 Academy is now going to be shown and streamed live. Oh, hell yes. Right? So we finally got there. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because obviously we did our F1 Academy episode like earlier on in the year. I think it was probably our third or fourth episode and we talked about how frustrating it was for f1 academy to not have been shown and i still stand by that i do think it's been frustrating to not get to see them to be limited in how you can catch up but i think there's been definite feeling and definite comments from people who quite frankly are far cleverer than me about how actually time away from the spotlight has given the series time to flourish and time to develop and time to test and tweak and, and try things and that may be actually that that's not such a bad thing now does that mean that we want to see it stay like that forever no absolutely not we absolutely want to see it broadcast we want to see it broadcast live we want to be able to watch these girls and, and all of that kind of good stuff but I do actually concur a little bit with the idea that for some of these people to have less pressure when they're first performing might not be such a bad thing now I do think that maybe because of the funding issues W Series had, I think this F1 Academy maybe knee-jerk launched at potentially a little bit early. That's a very fair comment. And so they've worked as best they can. But I am so, so excited to see it getting to the place which, oh, truthfully, we all wanted it to get to whatever this year has ended up looking like. I'm so excited for that to happen. To be fair, 
if I may. I think the knee-jerk reaction to launch F1 Academy is founded in a world that's mm-hmm. so fast-paced, especially with social media and trends and things like that. The fact that they were, yes, the word is smart enough to jump off yeah. the dying tales of W Series and create something new out of it while it was still present in the media was mm-hmm. yeah great because now people are talking about it people are te- you know people are upset that they couldn't watch it live but honestly it mm-hmm. might be a good thing that we weren't watching it live to begin with because there are kinks to any new series it is a new format it is nothing like w series except for the fact that the drivers are all right. women that is mm-hmm. yeah. probably the only thing that is the same mm-hmm. if i'm wrong if i'm wrong correct me but i believe that's the only thing that's the same so the fact that we haven't been able to see the first rounds, was I upset about it in the beginning? Yeah, because I wanted to watch it. It's a new series. I wanted to see what it was all about and how it was different to W Series, which was hard to obtain in the U.S. anyways. But now that we can see it, I'm kind of glad that they didn't let us see it because now we have something that's a little bit more polished, a little bit, it's, they've worked out the kinks yeah. as much as they can. So I'm not really upset anymore about not being able to see the first rounds, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. We haven't got a confirmed calendar for next year yet, have we? Whatever the F1 calendar is, there will be some WC... Or, sorry, what? Some yeah. F1 Academy um, in some of those weekends. So it'll be on, I want to say, they're running seven rounds? Well, how many did they run this year? I don't know. They had 15 rounds, I think. But they we've had the F2 and F3 calendars now. At time of recording, I've not seen the F1 Academy schedule yet, which is fine. We'll get it in time. But I think it's definitely, like you say, really, really beneficial for them to be on site with all of the other feeder series. Um, so I'm excited for that. I guess if I had to take a, a educated guess, aside from possibly Silverstone, they will probably be on the calendar with Formula 2, where Formula mm-hmm. 3 is not active, with the exception of Silverstone. That's my one guess. Well, you say that, but then W Series did link up a few more than that. And they're not the same, but in terms of like track space and track time, they definitely ran F3, 2, and W Series and True. F1 in weekends before. So it's not completely impossible. It might be where Porsche Cup is not active. You might be right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I guess we'll see. And I don't know. Uh, the, the curiosity for me is where it would place in a weekend. So obviously F3 is earliest in the day, followed by F2, followed by F1. Like they they prioritise the more popular timings for the more popular one. I'm very intrigued to see where F1 Academy goes. Does it go in with F3? Is it like the same level as that? Is it the same level as F2? What would you expect them to feed from F1 Academy through F3 and F2? Therefore, is F1 the youngest, I guess? I, I don't know the answer to that. It only time will tell and, and we'll find out. So I'll be quite mm-hmm. curious to see where they pitch it because W Series mm-hmm. was always pitched as the subset to F1, I think. If I'm remembering right from the broadcasting times in, in the UK, it was F3, F2, W Series, F1. I don't know. I don't remember because the only race I... that I actually got to watch was Miami mm. because it was a local YouTube broadcast sure. or what have you. And even then it froze. So... I don't remember, but I think yeah. that's kind of weird because it didn't. They didn't have anything else in Miami except for Porsche Cup. Yeah, well, that's that's what I mean. We'll we'll see in time. We'll see when the both the schedules get released and also when the TV schedules get released. I guess. But yeah. we just wanted to mention that it's news. It's maybe a few weeks old now, but it is exciting. And as Moni said, each F one team will be sponsoring a car. There are fifteen drivers in F one Academy. 
and 10 of them will be sponsored by a team and linked to a team, which can only mean great things in terms of exposure for the women driving and links to the team. And some of the F1 drivers have posted about this and seem genuinely excited about that. And then the other five will be supported in finding sponsorship in other ways. So yeah, lots to watch out for, lots to see. I wonder if the uh, teams are already picking their faves based on this year. It'll be interesting to see that. But yeah, that's I think that's all in F1 Academy. Anything else either of you have to say on it? Nope. Nope. In terms of other news then, we've got a couple of bits to round up. We've got a few changes to sort of how races are run. So they have announced that potentially in the future DRS is not going to be allowed to be used for qualifying it's only going to be allowed to be used in the race which to me makes a level of sense it seems quite logical like if it's used there to improve and benefit overtaking you're not overtaking in qualifying so therefore I don't see it being quite so necessary the car that obviously it would impact most in qualifying is Red Bull because they get an additional, where most people get, I think, an additional 12 or 13 kilometres per hour, the Red Bull gets an additional 18 to 20. So, you know, could see that really affect them in qualifying. I would assume that they're going to be quite against this. But, yeah, interesting developments in that. But what do you think about it? When would that start? Like, this season, next season, do they have anything in plan for it? It's just a possibility. I think it's just a pitch at this point. But honestly, I don't see it changing anything. Like, I don't... Unless you take it away from just Red Bull, it's not going to change anything. They're still going to be the same cars. True. That's just my... That's my two cents about it, but... Yeah, I think it's a very valid two cents. (laughs) Maybe it just means we see Max take 10 laps instead of, you know, the five at Silverstone to overtake people. I don't know. But it'll be interesting, I guess. Yeah, I can't as... I don't see it affecting Red Bull that Listen, much. Listen, so. I still am for hat-pulling cars and giving it to Max and whoever lands the lucky, whoever gets lucky gets his car for the week. I am still so for that. And if, you know what? I won't even charge for it. Take it. Take the idea. Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll be entertaining for that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so. yeah, and like I say, it's all speculation at this point. It, well, I guess we'll see. It's rumor mill is rumoring. Rumor mill is rumoring. In terms of rumors, then, so it is rumored in terms of driver changes. It is rumored that Carlos Sainz has signed a pre-contract agreement with Audi for 2025. So his contract with Ferrari is due up at the end of 2024. We discussed it last week. Hannah was very much of the feeling that you think he could be thinking about getting another yeah. infinity stone in his gauntlet and <laughs> the rumor is that he's going to go to audi in 2025-26 there's some big regulation changes in 2026 and so obviously if he went in 2025 it will enable him to be involved in the development of the car and all that rather than just arriving to the car in 2026 how realistic do you think this is this one comes with quite some reasonable credibility as we discussed last week but what are your thoughts I'm sorry for saying anything. I may have slighted him. La- was it last week when I said he hadn't? He uh, has driven every engine under the sun except for the supposed Audi engine. Was it last yes. week? Yeah. yeah. So. Sorry, guys. Um, did not mean to say anything and then uh, have it happen. I swear, I don't know anything. This is just me. You spoke it into being. Can I speak into being some stuff for me? 
Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, so that's that's probably the biggest rumour that's come out in the last week or so. The other two things that are rumoured are that both Joe and Yuki are looking like they're going to be getting extensions, which I'm not sad about either of those. Which they both deserve. I, I would really like to see them both stick around for a bit longer. But then the biggest news that's probably come out today, this is Tuesday of recording, is around Williams. Now, Hannah. First of I'm all, keep are my you mouth okay? shut. secondly, no, secondly, you don't keep your mouth shut. We're gonna hear. Secondly, unpack this a little bit for us. What has happened and what does this potentially mean for the future for Williams? So they with James Bowles as their new team principal, there's already been a lot of improvements in their performance and in their in sometimes in their strategy, and sometimes their strategy is not great but you know what everybody's nobody's perfect Hannah Montana once said nobody's perfect so she's right about everything she is so basically they was did they present it to the FIA to breach the cost mm-hmm. cap with a loophole so so a couple of different teams have done this in the past to bring themselves up to competitive speed um, McLaren yep. and Aston Martin being either two or is it Alpine Alpine and Aston Alpine. Martin Alpine and, and Aston McLaren Martin maybe. McLaren maybe I don't know when I don't know if they snuck in before the cost I think they probably did so a couple teams have used it in the past where they've created they've created an appeal to reach cost cap to bring them up to competitive speed it does have to be voted on by all 10 teams and it has to be a unanimous vote and as of today James Vowles has released a statement saying that they put the appeal out and everyone was for it except for the front of the grid. Now, just to clarify, they have put an appeal out to do what exactly? To do research their car to make it better, to do to spend more money, or is it around facilities? I think it's around a little bit of both. I think it's around facilities, which would help increase car performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to do it unless it brings them some car performance. Like, <laughs> yay, yeah. let's well, spend yeah. money to have a new place to because, go. Oh. Right, because as we learned, Williams has been doing what they've been doing with bare bones. Like, not even bare yeah. bones. Like, old technology. Mm-hmm. So, the fact mm-hmm. that they are their car is improving as, as it is without having breached the cost cap yet is yep. astounding mm-hmm. and yep. amazing and, you know, what have you. But for some reason, the front of the grid, which would be at least Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari, are not okay with it. That, so, they're not okay with them getting new facilities and potentially, therefore, a increase in performance. Right, pretty much. Okay. That's basically what they're saying. Not to like. Which at one level rumor, I respect. But... No, but at one level, like, I get that. I, I don't understand to an extent why you would ever want to give your competitors any slight remote edge. However, uh, didn't Esther Martin have to do this last year to get their new facility? Right, yeah. So, so you allowed I... two other so why teams to do it. Why is that okay and this isn't? Here's my only theory. Theory mm. away. Conspiracy. Williams is a backmarker that was on top way back when. They are now mm-hmm. a backmarker. Alpine and McLaren, or Alpine and Aston Martin, were never backmarkers. They were a mid-pack. It was less of a cost. But surely that's worth. You you would think so, but maybe right. it's less money. If the backmarkers want to have a go, have a go. I'll make you. I'm the adorable. Do you think maybe they've been scared by how well Williams have done this year without money? Without it. So they're worried. Absolutely. But if okay. oh, 100%. You really. Here's the thing. Like I said before, Williams has been around for a long time, and they used to be right. king of the circuit. Like king of the paddock like they have x number of championships under their belt not let alone mm-hmm. however many drivers championships like, championships they have under their belt they are established and founded for being there and they deserve their spot on the grid that's mm-hmm. not questioned what's questioned is 
where it fell off and why. And we mm. know why, because they lost, they, they started losing money. They were the last family-owned team on the grid. It was a whole thing. It's, you know, not And I think almost, enough. I think Williams would have done better had a cost cap been introduced 15 years ago. But when oh, you yeah, had the likes yeah. of Red Bull coming in and spending, when you had then the likes of Toto and the Mercedes conglomerate, whatever, and Zach Brown coming into McLaren and throwing severe amounts of money at this, at their teams, it, mm-hmm. they just couldn't so compare. Really... Like, really couldn't compare, could they? This is actually a great lead into our topic of discussion for the rest of the episode. This has to do mm-hmm. with the hybrid era and the rise of social media and marketing, right? PR. Right. Because they didn't have, not only did they spread themselves thin, they didn't have the money to develop the car and create a fan base out mm. of social media. Sure. It was either or, but they tried to do both. And so just to tie up this last little bit before we move on to, to that stuff, what happens next? Do you know? So obviously they, in theory, have been rejected. If it's got to be, you know, they've not got that. What happens They can next? go back. Do they go back? Do they try and convince people? That they, is, is James Bowles going for coffee with the other team principals to be like, love me, vote for me, you know? Oh, 100%. Like very, like, swing by the elections and stuff like that. Here's the funny one for me is that I completely thought that Toto would be 100% for we don't know that he's succeeding. Not. We don't know that he's not. So are we counting Mercedes as a as a mid pack now? It depends if he's using a general front of pack or a specific like just because he says the front of the pack, it doesn't mean necessarily all of them because that could still include Aston, Ferrari, Red Bull as three of the top four. I'm not trying to be like a Toto defender. Or maybe here. McLaren at this point. I'm just yeah, I'm just saying that it like we don't actually have the details of of yeah. who That's true. It is a has, rumor. has said no. Well, it's not a rumor. It's not it's a rumor it, but... of who is who is who it is not, not supporting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's interesting that they're doing that. Yeah, Red Bull went over the cost cap last year. There's rumors that Red Bull and two other teams went over again this year. And it's the like but yeah. So it's like you yourself are going over this. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. when you technically don't have to, because you already have the money, but this team that's doing it to even be at your benchmark, and by benchmark I mean like the lowest setting of it, right? You're saying no to. It's not like yes, I understand that like they're your competition and you don't want them to give them the edge, but like these they will still have to work once they get that to. And be also, it will take you. time to develop. This it's exactly. not like, so you, it's, like it's not the Sims. It's not the Sims where you can press pause on life. Build your house, upgrade, put your extension in, bish bash bosh, jobs done. It's not. It's not I mean, like I it's going I to take time to build that. I mean, it'd be great. I know. It'd be great. But like, it'd be great. It'd be great if we could do that. But like, it's not going to do that. Can't. It's like it's going to take time. Like having Ferrari be good is good for the sport. As a new fan, having a historic team like Williams also being good again and working to be good again, I don't see how will that will be a negative impact to the sport if anything it'll be like here's an like oh here is a phoenix rising from the ashes going back to what was once mm-hmm. williams with this that is team, blockbuster with these, with these two drivers like alex is another one you can yeah. like be like rising from the like as like rising from the ashes here's alex album leading being the lead driver of this team with a rookie and like I don't know. I don't see how that would be bad for you, especially as a going back mm-hmm. to like tying in social media and all that. It's like it's beneficial for all of you with the money and all just edit everything. So like I don't get it. I don't get it. No, yeah. and we'll leave it there because we don't know any more information. I'm sure more stuff will come out over the coming weeks. But it's definitely a very interesting development. And 
to tie it into what we're talking about today, which is sort of F1 and its links to pop culture, I definitely find it very curious, or not curious, but very interesting now how this has come out in a, a statement from James Vowles. I'm not saying that wouldn't have happened before, but obviously there is then hype and there is traffic and there is conversation generated around this, even as we are sat on a podcast discussing it right now, because of things like social media, because this has been put out there and we now know about it, whereas historically that might not always have been the case. So to lead into our next little bit, let's start with the ownership of F1, because I think it's a really important and critical point for looking at the link between F1 and and pop culture, because you kind of have to understand why it hasn't always been like this. So Hannah, as our longest standing F1 fan, talk to us about Bernie Eccleston, about Liberty Media, and about some of the changes that have come from those ownership changes. So... Bernie Ecclestone was the last, not, I don't know if individual owner slash CEO is the right term, but that's what he essentially was. He was Mm -hmm. the the equivalent to the commissioners of the NBA and the NFL for our American listeners. Okay. Okay. CEO, essentially. He- Top dog. Top dog. He basically dictated- everything where they went what they did how they marketed themselves mm-hmm. when the rise of social media happened he had a no social media rule essentially what, as in like so, no social media for what for who no social media is for the drivers he was very anti-social media anti-social media in the paddock he didn't want it he didn't he wanted to maintain that exclusivity and that mystery around what the paddock was and how to get in okay interesting Okay, so when this happened, around the same time, F1 started to see a decline in viewership, in fan retention, in everything, basically. Money, essentially. What year are we talking here? So the early 2010s, 2016, okay? okay? Mid-2016. So Bernie sold F1 because... He didn't have the money to maintain it anymore. And he wanted to give it over to, he wanted to give over the rights to somebody who might know how to do something with it. And they obviously did. Now that somebody was an American company called Liberty Media. And that's where some people claim the Americanization of F1 started. So this was mid-2016? Um, I think it was, yeah, I think so. That's the fit. That's the data I roughly had in my head, anyway. So it sounds about right. That's, yeah, it's all a little bit fuzzy to me. I'm not going to lie to you because that is also the Brosadies season. So there was a lot going on. Yeah, it's it's a. 2016 it's a, was a wild time then. 2016 was absolutely a wild time, and it never ceases to amaze me that all of that was crammed. So actually, I lied. 2017. Okay. So it was right after. Oh, it would have been in the so, pipeline. Yeah, it would have been in the pipeline. Yeah. 2016. So they were doing, they basically started looking at it. I think what really put, this is my theory, again, just a theory, that what really pushed Liberty Media to shell out the money was 2016. You had young Max Verstappen with his first, winning his first race ever in a Red Bull. You had Brosades mm-hmm. and that whole disaster. You had Nico creating an, a winter silly season by saying, peace. So they basically shelled out $4.6 billion and... F1 was now an, under an American company. Interesting. That is when we started seeing social media and F1 teams. And because now Bernie didn't have a say. I think he stayed around mm-hmm. for a little bit afterwards to be like, hey, here's the keys to the kingdom, but here's how to run those keys. But I don't think that many of those practices stayed after a while because Liberty Media, again, they had, it was a new way of thinking, a younger way of thinking. Yeah. 
they were they had people who understood that if you wanted it to if you wanted something to flourish you needed to keep an influx of fans coming and that meant going to younger fans mm-hmm. okay and younger fans they're on social media so yeah. keeping them off, keeping the drivers off social media not a good idea yeah now what's interesting to me is that because of that and this the parallel between like not parallel but like the same timeline kind of running parallel to like the rise of influencers of you know get ready with me like those types of videos and that type of content like content consumption yeah content consumption that's kind of what shaped how we see our drivers today Mm -hmm. you have people like seb who never had social media because it wasn't part of what they started with and then you have people like lewis who adapted to it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. We want to talk about who adapted to it. Fernando Alonso has adapted. Fernando Alonso adapted to it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, he started. He started racing in Formula One in two thousand one, a month before Oscar was born. Um. (laughs) Oh no! Oh my God! Did you not know that? No, I did not know that. Oh. (laughs) No, no, it's that's not news. It's a hilarious thing. He was Oscar wasn't born when Fernando did his first race. That's wild. I think Hannah's absolutely right. Like, you see sort of a real collaboration, I guess, between the rise of social media in general and the rise of F1 through social media. And it is baffling to me now to look at how things are and to think that it was never done like that in, like, the 2016 pre-series and stuff like that. Most of the stuff you have is, like, more traditional broadcasting, more traditional journalism through those kind of interviews. A lot less of it is what we would now call created content. So, Mm -hmm. you know, social social media admins for the teams are very hot on what the trends are. They're very hot on what videos will do well. They're very good at giving us real-time stuff that makes the drivers feel so much more accessible it makes the drivers personalities on show so much more and you know we can't do this episode without at least mentioning drive to survive now we can't spend this whole episode talking about drive to survive we could very easily probably do an episode all about drive to survive on its own but i think definitely some of the links between f1 and popular culture have to be at least alluded to through Drive to Survive, that people really mm-hmm. saw the mm-hmm. sport and saw the drivers. And, you know, there's there's so much we could talk about here, but I think Drive to Survive can really be credited for putting the drivers on a bit more of a visible platform in a way that you do see through things like Grow the Grid and some of the other videos that F1 and the teams do. But Drive to Survive is a different kind of exposition of the characters, I guess, and makes them seem more celebrity-like because they're in a mm-hmm. TV show, you know? Let's put it this way. If Bernie was still around as Ed Honcho, we would not have goggle games. No. <laughs> and Max Verstappen no. just say, I'm going to yeet this soccer ball off this roof. Yeah. Just for funsies. Yep. Or Logan it taking off his shoes because they're very expensive, you know? And they're new. I respect a man that respects his shoes. And Bernie probably would have sacked all the drivers for their abysmal knowledge of uh, drivers who'd won races from his bed. Oh, yeah. I'm, su- I'm surprised okay. Seb didn't make a surprise return to win that one. But, you know, anyway, there are a lot of platforms and things that have given us so much more accessibility, I guess, and exposure to the drivers and 
their personalities. And what we've seen in a way is we've seen the drivers be really their, their lives, their relationships, their personalities, their families, everything about them is now of interest. They are mm-hmm. people of interest now in a way that five, ten years ago, unless you were really interested in the sport, maybe they wouldn't have been so much. They wouldn't have been people of interest to you unless it was something you followed. But now they've got this real celebrity status. Like you see them doing like links with like luxury fashion, like fashion houses, watches, the teams getting sponsored by some of these things. You see Daniel Ricardo at the Met Gala, like And Hathaway fangirling over Daniel Ricardo at the Met Gala, which would never have happened if Dread to Survive did right. not become a thing. Yeah. Right. And so whilst like I said, we're not going to talk too much about Drive to Survive today we can't not mention it in being heavily involved in the rise mm-hmm. of the popularity of F1. I mean, our very own Monica got into Hello. the sport through it. Hi. Like, yes. this wouldn't be happening without Drive to Survive, and that would be so sad. So, <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it has its place in bringing people in. Uh, personally, I didn't watch it until this year, but yeah. I, th- I think it, it definitely has had a part to play in sort of giving F1 the popularity that it has. So people say, or you can say at least that, I guess, quote unquote, the Americanization of Formula One started with liberty yes. media buying it. Okay. My thing, I guess, I guess and this is what comes like the content creation and like this side of it and like the PR selling the sport. If you're going to want an a like something version of something to sell a sport, my, again, probably American bias, but like, American sports know know how they sell themselves. They know oh, yeah. how to sell their personalities. They know how to sell their superstars. You're telling me if Tom Brady played a different sport that wasn't football in America, he would be known as Tom Brady. Have your opinions you have of him if he wasn't uh, in the NFL. If he played in a different league that was in the NFL, he would not be Tom Brady. He would just be Joe Schmo that played in the CFL, even though he was a great athlete. Like, or... George Kittle, if you're any where Steph related, Curry. where Steph Curry, George Kittle, WWE, things like that of like that nature. It's like American sports leagues know how to sell their athletes and sell their personalities. It's like if F1 wants to get eyes and attention on it, that's how you do it. And they're starting to do it. So like I can see why people are mad about the Americanization of a sport. It's breaking rules, the history of it. Why are we having driver lineups? Yes, it could Miami. It could have been better. That was a mess on its own. But like, also, you see football or soccer for us Americans in Europe taking things that are very much Americanized things and put it into like the EPL final and things like that. So it's clearly not just F one doing it, and it works for a reason. Why not actually just give it a shot and let it see where it goes? It's not even negative. Even if it's a negative impact, it's still going to get ice to the sport, and that's what you want, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's a really valid point. Like, to clarify, it was also the Champions League final, but that's irrelevant. It's just, that's just, <laughs> but I think you've got to, you've got to figure out who it is that's making these decisions. Because whilst fans may not like it, sponsors might, the people who get the money might. And, you know, whilst I'm not saying it's cheap to hire big artists and big people to get involved in promoting things like this, clearly there is some rationale behind doing it. And someone somewhere, ultimately is making money because cash is king that it makes sense for them to do it now personally 
I'm not that fussed by the cringe and fanciness of some of the things that they've chosen to do at some of the American races. But I'm not so offended by it. I, I kind of just have a bit of a giggle about it. Like, there's always going to be something that isn't for everyone. You're going to get the people who love that Max is dominant. You're going to get the people who hate that Max is dominant. You're going to get the people who say that it's good for the sport. You're going to get the people who say it's bad for the sport. You're going to get the people who like the show and you, who like the Americanization of it. And you're going to get the people who don't. You actually cannot please everybody. And that is a fact. And so at one level, why should you try? Why should you try to please everybody when you know that you won't? Therefore, you make the decision that makes, for you, more financial sense. Now, there's a whole piece around the accessibility of F1 now that it's got so popular, like the crazy statistic that 99% of F1 fans will never go to a race. All of these kind of things. So you see this, like, huge rise in interest and popularity you see this huge rise in price and cost and accessibility in in some respects it kind of has a massive impact on how people can relate to the sport and therefore if 99% of fans aren't going to be able to make it the content that they see and the things that they consume from races in from the drivers from all of those kind of things becomes so much more critical and so much more important so if i know i'm never ever going to go to a race how people give me information and behind the scenes footage and a glimpse into the paddock into the race and all of those things becomes so much more valued so my question for you guys was what things do you think like and go as specific or as generic as you like but what things specifically do you think have massively contributed to linking F1 to pop culture? I guess for me, I would say that, yes, Drive to Survive is how I got introduced to the sport, but it's not solely 100% the reason I decided to be become a fan and start following the sport. It introduced mm-hmm. the drivers and the teams to me, but I would say for me personally, it was the content, specifically on YouTube, not necessarily TikTok, because I wasn't, I wasn't getting fed that on my For You page, but specifically YouTube content that like me me and my other friend that got into it at the same time started like seeing and sending each other. And then like from there, the rec- recommended videos. So it was definitely like the mm-hmm. YouTube content of like compilations of like funny moments or funny quotes or like things like that that showed the driver's personalities that made me mm-hmm. be like, okay, I want to get into this. I want to know more about it. And this is not my the drivers I like. And it's kind of like the same with other sports I do like. Like, I'm a massive hockey fan. I'm a big baseball and NFL fan. Bay Area kid. Grew up loving those sports. And, like, as much as those are my hometown teams, I only like those teams because they're my hometown teams. Those social Mm. media teams of the Warriors, the 49ers, the Sharks, the Giants are great at also showing the personalities of their teams. Yes, we are winning. Yes, we have historic, but it's like they are also very good at showing here's the personality of Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. Here's George Kittle being funny. Here's the Giants and personalities as well. So it's just as for me as a fan, the personality is also just as important as having my favorite team win or try to win, if that makes sense. So the content that you consumed on YouTube was that fan made content f1 made content or team made content all three so it was f1 videos okay. and then videos from the teams like the teams like the challenges the teams themselves will have and then yep. just like fan compilation stuff so it was like all three of them a lot of f1 stuff even before bernie sold it off to and lifted everything right it's basic hollywood sponsor 
if you will. So for me, I think my first real interaction without knowing it was the Cars films. Okay, so, you know, for those that don't know, Michael Schumacher actually voiced the Michael Schumacher Ferrari in the very last scene of Cars 1. And also, Lewis has voiced Hamilton in 3. Yeah, in in Cars 3. And he made a cameo in Cars 2. And depending on which language you watch it in, Hamilton changes to Vettel and Alonso, or Alonso, or Giovinazzi? That could be I'm only aware I think, of I think, Alonso. I think Alonso does Seb too. Does. I think he does the Italian version as well. Seb does. Um, Seb. I think it's Seb. It's Seb. Seb does the Italian version? Okay, fine. Seb. So Seb yeah. does the Italian version as well as the German version. And they also change cameos in Cars 2, depending on which language you watch it in. So those were the first, without knowing it, interactions I had with Formula 1. Now, Formula 1 aside from the documentaries and aside from DTS and aside from the races and the broadcasts pop up in so many different film franchises and so many different media for example Iron Man Iron Man 2 right Iron Man 2 he races in the Monaco Grand Prix never mind all of the films that are explicitly specifically about F1 yeah I was watching Rush before we started recording I finally saw Rush by the way Speaking of F1 movies, oh, I finally great. saw it. Great. Good job. It great Mommy's done her homework. Anyways, yay. Ooh. Anyways, continue. <laughs> but that's, and that's the history of seeing all of those in, in like specific F1 movies, never mind all the ways that it just casually drops itself in. Right. The only thing I see being an issue is that every single time I've seen F1 dropped into a random movie, it's always been Monaco, which I understand because Monaco is the opulence. It's the most elegant weekend what have you with history and you know whatever else and it's gonna it would be hard to drop any other race into a random movie um i think mm-hmm. the most recent one not the most recent one but the most recent franchise that came out with a movie that had monaco in their franchise was the one i'm blanking on the name it's a netflix movie with adam sandler and me jennifer aniston and it's a yes. nice movie it's it is i know exactly which one you mean like cannot for the life of me and i can't but you know what it's fine like i know exactly what it what it looks like but so for me and for a couple of my friends those were the first interactions we had with formula one murder mystery murder mystery thank you i knew it was like a weird movie that like yeah he was, yeah okay it didn't have f1 in the title yeah so that's kind of like the very first one and if you look at cars 2 specifically they're technically racing the F1 calendar. Mm-hmm. Be it, they're mm-hmm. mostly street circuits in the movie, I think. If not all street circuits. So it's in a lot of pop culture. It's, you know, it's making its way through music. There's tons of different artists that have mentioned drivers, written songs about drivers. There is fan-made content like Blue Flag. There are drivers who have written songs and released them with Christina Aguilera. There are, and there are drivers that have just written, written and released piano, piano pieces. Beautiful exactly. piano pieces. But even the fact that they have the celebrity to do that is mm-hmm. clearly a sign that things may have changed. I don't know that five, ten years ago, you'd have had an F1 driver being able to get into the top ten with a track that is purely piano music, just releasing it off the cuff as a side hustle. Absolutely not. No way. Exactly. No, no way. marketing either. No. None. Dropped. None. Well, was it, it, wasn't it. it an Instagram story? It was like... Yeah, it was an Instagram wait, story. He Instagram dropped story. it. Boom. And it went to number six on world charts, on the world charts, which is insane. Yeah. So that's if that doesn't 
is that's not a testament to like how much hold Formula One has on the pop culture world. I don't know what is. Um, because fans are what make this sport possible. And yeah. I don't think Bernie quite understood that. <laughs> no, no. I, I, but I do think things have changed. I think for me, one of the things I was going to say that has, in my opinion, been quite a significant chunk of how people can consume sort of new F1 content that they never could do before is around sim racing, is around streaming, is around things mm-hmm. like Twitch. So stories of lockdown and the lockdown period was the Twitch quartet. So the Twitch quartet consists of Lando, George, Alex and Charles who would do streams together. So Twitch is a platform, if you're not familiar with it, where you basically stream yourself gaming. People can watch you, there's money involved in all of those kind of things but largely it's for a, a fan base to watch a, a gamer stream them playing the and game interact with them as well there's a chat room and everything yeah this, they, they, people can interact with both the person gaming and the other people in the chat so it's become quite popular max verstappen has his own sim racing team called redline Lando and Max particularly are often pointed to as being a new generation of drivers who are so brilliant in part because of how good they are at sim racing. So Lando's brother, I think, has a sim racing company. But Twitch particularly has been one of the new and very different ways that fans can engage with drivers whilst they are driving. Now, they play all sorts of games. They play goat simulators. They play Call of Duty. They play all sorts of different things. They do also. You (laughs) are the goat. (laughs) they also do play f1 games so they play like f1 2020 that like it would have been and so people had this opportunity to engage with them in such a different way whilst they were driving now obviously when they're actually driving a race they can't talk to them no one but their engineer can talk to them so i think it was a really and they can't talk to each other no but i think it was a really unique way to do it when they were racing and doing like all of those kind of things lando has his own esports team and they've they competed and stuff but he's also like hosted competitions and stuff like that i know with like with friends with former drivers with i think joe did one earlier in the year maybe early last year yep and things like that and you know you've really seen sort of these be platforms and opportunities for drivers to engage with their fans in a different way and it's a it's a less traditional form of social media but i do think for a massive chunk of younger fans who twitch is their life like I remember talking to a teacher like a few years ago and the majority of kids in classrooms when asked what they wanted to be when they grew up were YouTubers, Twitch streamers, all of these things. This is such a big thing for a, a younger generation that are coming through. But I think if F1 can capitalise on that, they can see that also begin to boost F1. Now, there's a film coming out soon with Orlando Bloom in. You may have seen him on the grid promoting it in Monaco. A real life story of a sim racer who becomes a 24 hours of Le Mans driver. Now, Max recently has talked about launching his own team, his own GT3, yeah. Former sim racing team that are going to start racing in GT3. And I think it's really fascinating that he clearly sees that there's a possible pipeline from people who stream to people who race. And I, I'm surprised that he hasn't hooked up with Orlando Bloom and become best friends and promoting it together. But it is just very interesting to me that all of these things are expanding the popularity of F1 and showing different opportunities for more people to, yeah, get involved in it in a way that is more accessible to them. Because anyone mm-hmm. can sit behind a computer and watch someone Twitch stream. You can't always afford or go or 
be physically able to go to a race. Twitch Quartet exactly. was some of the first content I've seen. So Charles and the Bananas was one of the first things I saw. Oh my god, I have never looked, never so, looked good. so good. And then him <laughs> saying, Lando, we can be world champions. Lando. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the if there's one thing the pandemic gave us, it was a rise in popularity for Formula One, and that was because it became more accessible. Not only were they not able to race, they started racing on Twitch. They started streaming it because they started doing virtual Grand Prix, of which George actually won a race in the virtual Grand Prix. So technically, George has been a race winner since 2020. Putting that out there. Technicalities. <laughs> Technicalities. I said technically. I didn't say actually. Technically. But... That being said, it gave more accessibility and it gave us these things to look back on that are now really fun, funny memories. Mm-hmm. And that memes. memes, things like that. The thing is, is that now because we can see into drivers' personal lives, people want to know what their personal lives are like. They want to know that they're right. supporting somebody who's not going to make them look bad when that, you know, when stuff goes south. That's why people, you know, want to know what somebody's political views are. What before they start supporting somebody, you know, now it's so imp- now it's important to the fan base to know this person inside and out. For some, I get the reasons, but I don't like the reasons. Mm-hmm. But this is where it becomes: where's the line? Where do you draw the line? Where do you respect that line? And where do you not tiptoe over it? And like, yeah, I get it. I do. Because it really sucks when you have to stop supporting somebody because they they basically turn around and become and show their true colors and it's not something that you support. Mm. That being said, there is a line that if they don't talk about it, most of the time, don't try to trip them into saying something. Right. Yeah, we've definitely talked outside of recording times. Look, we also want to do an episode talking about the fandom and how the fans of F1 have shaped the sport. And, you know, that's similar to some of the stuff we're talking about today, but not the same and so you know we'll definitely talk about that in the future and sort of where we believe some of the lines are and maybe have unfortunately been crossed a little bit but I think we are definitely seeing these drivers be perceived so much more as celebrities and so much more as people of interest as I mentioned earlier Daniel Ricciardo was invited to the Met Gala now Lewis is a different kind of celebrity because as a seven-time world champion I think no one can dispute the fact that he is clearly quite famous and he obviously had a table at the Met Gala in 2020 maybe maybe 2021 2021 but you're sort of seeing F1 filter into so many other areas now it's it kind of goes both ways you're seeing more celebrities filter into F1 so you see it on things like the grid walks and pictures of celebrities in the paddock of that's clearly so plenty of that way, about. But I, yeah but we all do and but then it also <laughs> is interesting where it's filtering in the other way. So obviously we've got the as yet unnamed Brad Pitt F one movie this year. There's also talk of a Felicity Jones F one TV series, which is called One, I think. Um, which is like a family drama following a hypothetical family owned F one team that struggles and all those kind of things. There's a Netflix thriller in 2021 that was called The Formula, I think, or it was announced in 2021 called The Formula. I don't know quite where that's gone. It was also reported last year that Keanu Reeves is working on FUF1 docuseries for Disney. All of these things are starting to ramp up and hype up. I mean, this year alone, we've had the launch of Barbenheimer, so Barbie and Oppenheimer, and we saw all the social media admins, the teams, the drivers leaning into trends like that. We saw Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso hype. Like, all of these things, we're seeing F1 permeate so many 
other trends and brands and in the same way we're seeing those brands permeate f1 a little bit as well and i just yeah i think it's really interesting to see how much the sport has been changing even over the last 12 months of a huge influx post 2021 i think i'd say there's a lot of people who came in through drive to survive when it was over the pandemic and stuff like that that was definitely one massive influx but i do also think a huge flux that yeah i just i just find it really interesting to see how different teams have and haven't leaned into that because there's definitely some teams who are a bit like mm, we have to do something and potentially you see that reflection in the fan base yeah and you can tell who has a like a a younger admin who has one that has who's which teams mm-hmm. have given them a longer leash, which teams are very stuck to their image and want to keep that image. I will one of my favorites, I think, is Aston Martin because they walk that line so well where they can do so the well. Wes Anderson, they can do the Wes Anderson trend and they can make it look really good, but they can also tease Alonzo about being in love with Taylor Swift in two different videos that are right next to each other. It is Right. They walk that line so well, and you can tell that yeah, they yeah. have set parameters and that they don't, you know, they don't limit the creativity, but they also have lines that they have set and that they won't mm-hmm. cross because they're smart about it. And I do think some of it's the drivers as well. Absolutely. Then you have, like, you could tell, like, there's different energies around it. Mercedes is a little bit mm-hmm. less formal, and then you have McLaren, which is just kids screwing around with a camera. No offense, McLaren, but like that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like, you know. But that's that's the vibe. That's what people like. That's what's getting them clicks because that's yeah. the energy and the age of their. And team. then you've got a lot of teams that are kind of straggling the middle a little bit. And I do think some of the F one enforced stuff, like your goggle games and things like that, I think have been really interesting because they are less team specific and more F one specific. And I do think you see a different side to some of the drivers when they are forced to participate in some of the grill the grid stuff and some of the f1 standardized stuff as opposed to what their brand of their social media is i think that's quite curious yeah and i think that last year's equivalent to goggle games was the teammate what was it called the like the you or him i, I don't remember mr. what it's called mr and mrs yes that mr. was mr and mrs, and mrs. i think it was 2021 was it 2021 that it was last year maybe because they did it in miami maybe they did then i thought it was it feels longer than that. <laughs> so that was that was the equivalent. So basically, every year F1 TV and their correspondents come up with a game that every team is going to play, and then they do a ranking, kind of like Girl the Grid. So this is this year's Goggle Games. Last year, I believe, was Mister and Mrs. Mister and Mister, as they called it. And I I'm curious to see what they come up with for next year, or what they came mm-hmm. up with if if Mister and Mister wasn't last year, what they had last year, because I don't remember seeing it. Um. <laughs> The only reason I say that is because I'm sure George Russell did it with Nicholas Latifi and George was in Mercedes last year. Did he do it with so Nicholas? I don't think, I'm trying to think, what what did Alex and Nikki do together? I don't remember. We'll go back. We'll find out. And yeah, then, we'll look it up. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is very amusing to see what they come up with. I like it. I think it, I think any opportunity to show a bit more of the driver's personality for me is always a win. And I do yep. also think it becomes a really good talking point. Like a lot of the videos that have come out even over the last week. Well, we've all spent ages discussing that grid, the grid and all of the like, individual moments that will mean different things to different people. And I think that in particularly in sort of the summer break, keeps people talking, keeps people engaged, keeps content coming through. By the time that this episode gets released, there will have been another one. What would have been yesterday, if you're listening to this on Thursday, there's another episode released on Wednesday, basically. And so, you know, we're getting to see more and more content and they've kind of keeping us fed through the summer break. 
But unless there's too much more that you want to say on F1 culture, we will round up a little bit of a question for you to finish off with. But have you either of you got any other thoughts, any other comments, questions, things you want to say about this? No, I don't think so. Nope. We say to hear your question, though. You always have fun questions. <laughs> I have a comment that you think they're fun. You do. Even if you you're really not do. answering them, whether you think they're fun or not. So here we are. What <laughs> is your, and maybe it's something that you've said, but in terms of moments where you've seen F1 somewhere you didn't expect to see it. So somewhere, it, you know, a bit different. What is your favourite F1 pop culture crossover moment of all time? It can be as big or as small as you want. It can be specific to one driver. It can be specific to F1. But what's your biggest moment where you've been like, oh my gosh, this is so cool? Uh, mine, because it happened literally at the beginning of this year as I was working on my thesis, was I needed serotonin. So I said, I'm going to sit and watch all the Cars movies. So this is now I know F1. I know who Michael Schumacher is. And I was just know typing away watching cars and we get to the end when a real ferrari gets to guido and luigi's tire shop you know and he's like oh my god yes and the way i paused that movie and texted my friend being like oh my god do you know how many times i've seen this movie and it finally clicked why luigi fainted and then guido's just there shocked until michael schumacher speaks italian and then he fates it's like oh my god like how many times has this gone over my head until now and so therefore it is that because i've seen that movie so many times and then this year's year it clicked that oh yeah michael schumacher ferrari was in the tire shop love that yeah i oh i don't know i think i have so many i think that's one of my favorites this is one of my first but i think I have to say Iron Man 2. I have to say Iron Man mm. 2 because that Marvel is my other love, pop culture love. Whoop. So that's like, I think I have to say that because even though it's not a, it's it's just a few scenes and it's a, you know, it is a part of like, it's a, not to, in case somebody hasn't seen the movie. I know people don't know if they love the movie. I mean, it was released in 2012. I know it was but released in 2012, but still, still, Hank, I'm trying to be respectful, okay? Like, yeah, there's... like, five seconds so Hannah can spoil it. Go ahead, Hannah. Basically, it's an integral part of the climax and, like, the... Or, like, the start of, like, the climax of the film and the setup. So, just... It's, it's a really good... They incorporate it really well. They... Mm-hmm. Because that is, in its essence... The Monaco Grand Prix is Tony Stark. It is. At me. At me. Particularly okay. Tony Stark pre-Iron Man. Right. So that is like the perfect setup. And just having the characters just kind of be there yeah. and and have the first just big disagreement there. Just beautiful. That's my own personal opinion. I have a lot of different ones. Love that. Uh, right now. Yeah, that's fun. Right now, Vans is doing like a, they have Barbie, but they also are doing like a Grand Prix collection. It's not necessarily Formula One. It's more like nascar focused but it is really good like yeah yeah no i like that mine would probably be i realize no one asked but i'm gonna give it you no i'm gonna i was gonna ask you but i was gonna i figured you were gonna answer (laughs) yep mine would probably be and particularly when we're talking about other things that you are a fan of i think whenever there's a crossover between two things that you are a fan of i think that's always really exciting there's been certain football players as in we're talking i'm talking real football uh, like English Premier League players on the grid. That's exciting for me. Uh, so people like Tom Holland. Tom Holland smacking himself in the face with the flag. The other things I've liked, I've liked seeing like actors that I like, but for me, the overriding ultimate fan 
to F1 crossover was when Harold Styles was pictured wearing a Daniel Ricciardo t-shirt. Yes. Because it was just like uh, the world, the, the the right people lost their collective brains over it, and I am one of them because it was just two of my favorite things intersecting, and I love stuff like that. There are so many more I could say. I could, I honestly could be here all night, but I did really, really, really enjoy that, and it made me very happy. Then to hear him speak on it, uh, Daniel speak on it, and and talk about it, yeah, it was just it's cool. It was really cool. So other than that. I think that's all we've got time for. We have got some really exciting stuff coming up. To finish off the summer, we've got some really, really exciting conspiracy controversy episodes coming highly up. Highly anticipated. Highly anticipated. There's some really fun stuff in this. And we are doing an episode all around fitness, all around things like G-Force, all around why and how the drivers train. This is Moni's absolute bread and butter. So I'm so, so, so excited. I, for this. So I please don't miss that one. Yeah, no, don't be, please don't apologize. I'm so excited mm-hmm. to get into that one. So definitely don't miss that one because it will be really, really great. But I think that's all we've got for today. So thanks for joining us. Take care and we'll see you all soon. Bye guys. You look the T-Rex. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on anything we discussed today, or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future, then we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C, or follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. See you soon!